Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. Week six of the NFL season just finished. The season is flying by, and a lot of people have been saying that there haven't been many high-caliber football games. And, you know, that's fair. That is fair. The scoring has been down this year. There haven't been many games that were close because both teams were playing well. For the most part, games have been close because a team with lackluster talent isn't making mistakes, but a team that's much more talented is making mistakes, you know? But this week, especially, there was a game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think most would agree That was a very good game, and it wasn't a very good game because one team was making a lot of mistakes and the other one was just less talented. No, both of these teams were super talented and making very few mistakes. It was an amazing game to watch. It really was. And people are correct when they say that, oh, the scoring has been down because that's a factual statement. There's there's nothing I could say back to that. Now, the question is why? Is it because defenses are playing better? Is it because offenses are playing worse? And it is a little bit of both. There's definitely truth to that, okay? There's there's truth to both sides of that argument, without a doubt. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the games have been less entertaining. Because the teams have been worse at certain things doesn't mean that the games have been less entertaining. Tom Brady said it himself in a press conference last week. There has been a lot of bad football played this week, this season. And this week, we saw Tom Brady himself, the person that said that, play a bad game of football on a team that lost to a objectively worse team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So... I wouldn't say that the games have been bad this year. I would not. But I do think the storylines surrounding this season are much more interesting than the actual games being played. Which, that sounds like a bad thing. But you look at some of the storylines going around. Both the Jets and the Giants are above 500. The Packers are falling apart. The Philadelphia Eagles are currently undefeated. The Cowboys have been really good, and it's mainly because of the defense that, remember, just two years ago was a huge liability. The Patriots and Bailey Zappi coming out of nowhere. Geno Smith coming out of nowhere and looking like a top 10 quarterback all of a sudden. The Bengals and Rams both being involved in kind of a Super Bowl hangover right now? Listen, the football games that have been played over the year have not been great. 
Okay, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They haven't been bad. Like, we've had enough close games for people to stay entertained. And, hey, NFL football is still NFL football. But the storylines are definitely the most interesting thing about this season. At least I believe so. I absolutely do. And I'm hoping as the season goes on, we're seeing more than just the storylines. We're seeing these storylines result in actual good games. And I feel like that's when the NFL would be at its best. It is nice to see teams kind of come out of nowhere and start succeeding, teams that we didn't expect to succeed. And it's nice to see some teams underperform because when the all the teams are in the mix, it's much more fun to watch. Like I said last week to open the episode. But I don't want teams to just be close because they're all playing poorly, you know? So that is where I believe we are at currently with the NFL from an overall perspective. We're in a position where no team is really playing or very few teams are playing at an extremely high level week to week to week. But that leads to some interesting storylines. So there's kind of a payoff there. Again, it would be nice for these storylines to also result in good games being played, but hopefully that happens this upcoming week. It may not, though. It may take a little while, and maybe some of these teams are just going to continue to play bad football, and that's just the reality of the league. Anyway, let's go into my rapid-fire takeaways for last week's games, starting with the Thursday night game that everyone knew was going to be bad going into it, and look at that. It was terrible. The Bears' offense is everything we expected. In this game against Washington, which again, everyone knew that was going to be bad. The Bears didn't play well. They didn't. They were really close to winning, which is great. They were just a couple inches away from winning. By the way, nice catch by Darnell Mooney. It sucks that he didn't get into the end zone, but it was a great play by him to recover after bobbling a pass that, yeah, maybe if he caught the pass right away, that's a touchdown and they win the game, but still. It, it was a sick catch by him that kind of gets disrespected because they lost and because it started off with a drop. A drop that, if he caught it, probably would have won them the game. But still, the Bears' offense was terrible. Downright horrendous in this game. And this isn't all on Fields, but it's not all on everyone else. Fields didn't play well. He overthrew a wide-open touchdown. He took a couple of sacks, and maybe not all of them were his fault because that offensive line is terrible. But I was watching the game on the Prime Vision, the alternate broadcast that's available on Amazon Prime. And it has a thing where it shows how long the quarterback is holding the ball, and it shows like a number of seconds. And the timer just keeps going until the play ends or until he throws the ball. And there was one specific play where I believe Justin Fields held it for like 5.6 seconds, which those of you that don't know, in the NFL, once you get to the bottom of your drop back, right, the ball should be out. It should. It should be three seconds to throw the ball. 
And when you have a bad offensive line, you should know to get the ball out hot. But Fields, and it wasn't just this one play, Fields throughout his career has had loads of plays where he takes sacks, not because the offensive line is bad. And yes, the offensive line has been bad his entire career. I'm not going to deny that. But he takes some sacks because he holds the ball too long. And this is because he stares down reads. This is because at times he refuses to check the ball down. And it's also in part because the offense is designed poorly. I'm not going to only blame Fields here, all right? I'm not a big Fields guy, as long-time, of the listener, long-time listeners of the podcast may know. I said that Fields was going to be a bust, and I still stand by that. But he has very little to work with. I do give him kind of an excuse. Now, maybe not an excuse, but I do give him a little bit of sympathy. The receivers there are not good at all. And the offensive line is terrible. The play design, it's better than Nagy's offense, but it still isn't good. And the Bears struggled to run the ball in this game, so he didn't really have much to work with. He had to make plays. But the Bears also technically used two first-round picks in order to get Justin Fields because they traded up to get him. So when you use that much to get a quarterback, that quarterback should be able to elevate your offense to a point he shouldn't need to have much to work with. Now, does he have anything to work with? No. So that's why I still give him the excuse. But still, if Fields was really this guy that you want to use two first-round picks in order to get, he has to show you a little bit more than he has, and he's yet to show me this. But yeah, the Bears' offense has been everything we accept, we expected. From the offensive line being terrible, from the wide receivers being horrendous, from Luke Getzley, who's a first-time offensive coordinator, not really being too great. This offense is just eh. It's not even eh. It's bad. It is bad. It's exactly what we expected. Now on to the 49ers, another team that has had offensive struggles over the week. The 49ers were playing the Atlanta Falcons, and a lot of people had this as basically a lock for the 49ers to win, and they were extremely surprised to see the Falcons somehow beat them. Why was this? Because the 49ers looked so incompetent offensively that It made the Falcons' defense look like one of the best in the entire NFL. The Falcons. This is on Jimmy Garoppolo. This is on Shanahan. And this is on that entire offensive unit. Everyone responsible for it. Now, I don't think Garoppolo is a good quarterback, and Garoppolo didn't look good in this game. He didn't. But the running game couldn't do anything for some reason. I mean, Grady Jarrett was just killing them, and the the 49ers had some turnovers. They did. And the 49ers defense without Nick Bosa couldn't really do much to stop Marcus Mariota, who somehow looked very, very solid in this game. So the 49ers offense, we know, we know, They could be better than this. We know they'll have some games where they look better than this. 
But if they really want to be one of the top dogs in a weak NFC, they have to stop having games like this. They have to. They can't be this inconsistent because what if this is the 49ers team that shows up in the playoffs? Then you lose. They got to fix this. The 49ers offensive inconsistency is going to be something that holds them back a lot. Now, on to the Patriots game against the Cleveland Browns. My takeaway for this game is that the Patriots' balanced offensive attack is working very well, even with Zappi in. I like Zappi. I was high on Zappi going into the draft. But even I'm a little bit surprised by how well that offense is is playing with him. Now, I'm not surprised because of a lack of faith in Zappi, but I looked at how bad that offense was with Mac Jones. And now Zappi's in, a backup quarterback who hasn't taken a snap in the NFL until, well, just a week, two weeks ago. You know, scares me. It scares me, for sure. Or it did scare me. But now, the Patriots offense looks dynamic as hell. It does. This running game has been amazing for some reason. Now, that reason is probably the offensive line. And there's a lot of truth to that. Ramondre Stevenson, he's a talented back, but I would have never expected this from him. Never. Expected him to all of a sudden be looking like this. And it's not even like he's making these great plays. It's just he's hitting the hole. And the offensive line is making these holes. But what's even more amazing is the fact that they could throw the ball too. Despite not really having a loaded receiver core. Tyquan Thornton had a good game. But still, their receiver core isn't a great unit. And again, their backup quarterback is in. Yet their passing game can do some damage. And it's complemented well by a really good running game. The Patriots are doing what they've been doing for the past 20 years, and that is coming out there with a subpar team in terms of talent and looking dynamic, looking amazing. And, of course, defensively, they're spectacular because this is a Belichick team. Patriots are pleasantly surprising a lot of people right now. Now, on to the Jets, who are another team that are surprising loads of people. Especially that defense, which is suddenly looking great. Right? I mean, they beat the Packers. They beat the Packers. They didn't just beat them. They beat them in very, very convincing fashion. The Jets' defense suddenly looking great alongside a remarkable rushing attack could be and has been a formula for success for this Jets team. They've been really good by doing this. This scheme, not even scheme, this way of playing football has really worked for them. It has. 
And if it wasn't working, how would they beat teams like the Packers? Now, say what you want about the Packers possibly being on their downfall. At first, I wanted this takeaway to be about the Packers. But I think everything I would say about the Packers is stuff everyone else is saying about them right now. They're looking really disappointing. They are. Aaron Rodgers isn't playing at an MVP level. Their receiver core is yikes. They're underutilizing Aaron Jones, and that defense, I mean, it has a lot of talent, a lot of players that people say are underrated, but they are not playing like a defense filled with underrated dogs. Meanwhile, the Jets, with Quinion Williams playing like this and Sauce Gardner also balling out, this is a real team. This is a real threat. The Jets are not a team to be slept on. They are not. Another team that should not be slept on. The Vikings may not look like it, but they're 5-1 and one right now. But my question is, how sustainable is their style of winning? How sustainable? And I, I honestly don't really know. That's why I'm saying that's my main question for them. Vikings fans, I imagine, know what I'm talking about. Throughout this year, they won five out of their six games. That's big. That's no small feat. But they win these games in extremely close, extremely close. They just barely make it out of there, even against teams like the Bears. They need to force a fumble in order to win, even against the Dolphins who don't have Tua and had their quarterback get injured halfway through the game, their third-string quarterback get injured halfway through the game. Even against them, the Vikings need to force a fumble in order to win, just like they did against the Bears. Not good. Not good. They are not winning in convincing fashion. They're consistently just making it out of there. And hey, Maybe that's what O'Connell wants. Maybe that's what O'Connell is about, keeping the game close and then making a big game-changing play at the end, just slightly outlasting the other team. Maybe that's his mentality. That's why I'm not saying, I'm not straight up saying that, oh, the Vikings are a bad team because they play close games. Maybe this is what they want. Maybe this is what they're good at. But in the playoffs, this doesn't seem like a style of football that could work. And when you're 5-1, and one, you should be looking and thinking about playoffs. Now, let's talk about the biggest upset of this week and probably the biggest upset of the entire year so far. The Steelers somehow got a win over the Buccaneers. Now, I've talked about the QB2 theory before on this podcast. And in short, it is the belief that, or it's a theory, that because quarterback is such a tendency-reliant position, opposing defenses, they plan a lot 
and make up most of their game plan based around the opposing quarterback's tendencies. So when the starting quarterback or the backup quarterback that they're expecting to play that week, whatever, goes down and a new quarterback comes in or gets benched and a new quarterback comes in, that screws up the entire defense and it makes it much easier for the opposing offense to go ahead and win the game. At least for that week, because they were game planning for a different quarterback. And this is technically, I I guess, more proof of that being true, but the Steelers still only dropped 20. All right? The Buccaneers should be able to get more than 18 points. They should, especially with Hall of Famer, Greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. But in this game, Tom Brady did not at all look like the Hall of Fame greatest quarterback of all time that he has been for his entire career. And now I'm starting to think Brady, his age, it's starting to show. It is. It is. Like, I, I almost don't want to say that because my entire life I've watched this guy rule the league. And the question is always asked, oh, is this going to be the year Brady finally starts to regress? And you know what? I think this is the year that Brady, you know, regresses. I do. I think that Brady is actually starting to drop off. And it, it's evident. Not just in his play. This week. He missed practice to go to a surprise wedding for Robert Kraft, former owner of the, or sorry, owner of his former team. Now, that's not on, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? But Bill Belichick, who is still the head coach of that team, that Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, owns. And it was also his wedding, surprise wedding. Belichick didn't go. Belichick knows he has a football game on Sunday, and he was focusing on that. The Patriots won that game, by the way. Tom Brady still showed up, and he doesn't even play for Kraft anymore. He's on the Buccaneers now, so if Belichick's not going to show up, why should Brady? Why does Brady have to? Brady doesn't have to. I don't think this is something that Brady would have done two years ago, a year ago even. But now, I don't think Tom Brady can make the mental commitment that he used to be able to make year after year after year. I don't think he can be 100% football anymore. I don't. I think that's why he retired earlier in the year, in March. I do. Stuff like that is what hurt them. I I really think Brady shows up to the practices he missed. Buccaneers most likely win this game. And Brady did look really bad this week against a banged-up Steelers Defense. Really banged up Steelers defense. 
Brady should have been able to take advantage. He should have. But I don't think he's 100% only thinking about football all day, every day anymore. And when you're that old, if you want to still be, you know, some elite top-tier quarterback, you have to be able to make that commitment. He doesn't have the physical talent to be an amazing quarterback without making that commitment. So, my takeaway is Brady is no longer like this top-tier quarterback anymore. He might not even be top 10 anymore. He's around like that average tier. Now on to the next takeaway. Very short right here. Bengals offense finally starting to look dynamic again. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. They they just tore it up against the Saints. Tore it up. Looked really good. Really good. And they were able to beat the Saints. Great for them. Great for them. I was a little bit disappointed by the Bengals' defense in this game. But the offense is starting to look good again. And, hey, you know, the offense coming back, then maybe the defense starts to take steps forward again. And then all of a sudden, we have that Super Bowl team from last year. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe the Super Bowl hangover ends. And this this is the major turning point here. If the Super Bowl hangover does end, this is definitely the major t- uh, turnover, turning point. Sorry, turnover point. This is the major turning point for them. The offense looked really good in this game, despite the offensive line still not looking amazing. Despite, I, I don't think T. Higgins had a great week. It was really just the Jamar Chase show. Now, imagine if T. Higgins has a really good game while Jamar Chase also has an amazing game. Now, T. Higgins wasn't terrible. He had six receptions, 47 yards. But the week before, he had seven receptions, 124 yards. We've seen better from T. Higgins. If we could see T. Higgins' best at the same time as Jamar Chase's best, at the same time as Joe Burrow's best, this offense can return to top of the league material, maybe be at the top of the league. Although I do think it's hard to get all the players best when you have a coach like Zach Taylor, who I don't really like. Now, speaking of quarterbacks trying to play as well as they used to play, you know, a season ago, maybe with this guy six seasons ago, Matt Ryan, he has been downright Horrendous with the Colts so far. But last week, last week he showed he could ball. Playing against Jacksonville, the Colts didn't have Jonathan Taylor, so Matt Ryan was going to need to step up for them to win. And he sure did. Pittman had a great week. And part of the reason why was because his quarterback, Matt Ryan, had a great week throwing for 389 yards and three touchdowns. They need him to step up because Jonathan Taylor wasn't there. Now, imagine if Jonathan Taylor is back and Matt Ryan continues to play, maybe not at this level, but at a decently high level. 
Pittman continues to have great weeks like this. Alec Pierce, he's been a very good rookie. Maybe he continues to improve. Now all of a sudden the Colts are a very formidable team. But it all starts with the quarterback. Matt Ryan is a veteran. It was very out of character for him to start the season as in such a weak way like that. It was very out of character for him. But if he could continue to be just a solid quarterback and then throw for 390 yards when they absolutely need him to and Jonathan Taylor's completely shut down, the Colts are real. The Colts are like a real scary team, but it's the lack of consistency for them. It is. And that falls on the coaching staff. Part of the reason I think Reich is probably gone after this year. But hey, maybe Matt Ryan will keep playing like this. Maybe he'll shave maybe he'll save Frank Reich's entire career. Maybe. Now to the Giants. I feel like I had a really similar takeaway last week, but I'm kind of gonna sound like a broken record right here. The Giants are extremely legit. Extremely legit. Dexter Lawrence might be one of the best defensive players in the entire league. Honesty. Thibodeau. You know, he's he's had his moments, but he hasn't been quite, like, amazing, really. He, he's had moments, but he seems like he lacks discipline, but still, a lot of physical talent there. And on offense, Andrew Thomas, very good player. Saquon Barkley, very good. But you ignore all that. The main thing about this team that's allowing them to succeed is Brian is Brian Dabble. And the rest of that coaching staff is very good, right? I mean, Kafka, the offensive coordinator, has done a great job at designing plays and calling plays for the Giants. Looks like a completely different Giants team in terms of the plays they call and how daring they are with the schemes that they use compared to the past couple of years. And defensively, Wink Martindale has been great. But Dabble especially deserves credit here. Because what this Giants team is, is more than just the X's and O's. It's more than just the players they have. This Giants team will play a full 60 minutes of football. They will fight you. They will. They could be down 30, and they're still going to play their hearts out. And you'd be surprised by how many NFL teams you can't say that for. You would. And the Ravens, as good as they are, are one of those teams that won't play a full 60 minutes. That's why they lost. That is why they lost. If you don't play a full four quarters of football against the New York Giants, they will take advantage and beat you. They made that clear. They made that clear. Even though they're not the most talented team. They will beat you 
because they care more. And I know in the NFL that seems like kind of the bare minimum. You'd be very surprised. You would be very, very surprised by how few teams actually play a full four quarters. Now, let's talk about the former Giants head coach, Ben McAdumass, a.k.a. Ben McAdoo. And for those of you that don't know, he is the offensive coordinator on the Panthers. He was hired by Matt Rule. They got rid of Rule. For some reason, they kept Ben McAdumass. Don't know why. Have no clue why. And looking at that game against the Rams last week, I still have no idea why. Listen. Yeah, P.J. Walker, right? He may not be the best quarterback ever, okay? He may not. But... If you have this little confidence in your quarterback, he should not be on your roster. He should not. P.J. Walker did not complete a single pass that was past the line of scrimmage. And that wasn't because he was missing a lot of them, although he did miss a couple. And his players weren't getting open down the field. That wasn't the only reason. I mean, yeah, sure, he wasn't playing very well when they did ask him to do that. Although, they didn't really give him many opportunities, and that's a problem. All the passes that he completed were behind the line of scrimmage because they were all screens. They were all swing passes to McCaffrey. They were all just the type of shit that I expect the Broncos to have called in 2020 when all their quarterbacks got COVID or exposed to COVID, so they had to start wide receiver Kendall Hinton at quarterback. That's the type of play calling this was. That was how little confidence they had in P.J. Walker. And I've seen P.J. Walker play before. He may not be great, again, but I know he's better than this. I know he's better than this. He's an NFL quarterback. He could complete a pass past the line of scrimmage. Clearly, Ben McAdoo didn't think that. Instead, Ben McAdoo wanted to just absolutely feed McCaffrey a player that they're planning on trading. Screw building for this season. Why Why do that? Why try and create a scheme around the players that you're 100% positive are going to be with the team for a while? DJ Moore, for example. No, let, let's feed the player that is on his way out. Why not? And, you know, maybe that makes the trade price go up. But really, as the offensive coordinator, that is what you're doing? Christian McCaffrey had 74% of the team's yards from scrimmage last year. Or, sorry, not last year. Last game. That is horrendous. I mean, it's great for McCaffrey, sure. But you as an offensive coordinator in the NFL are exposed to all these different super talented athletes, yet you still can't find a way to give DJ Moore the ball. You still can't find a way to give anyone else the ball. I know Robbie Anderson left mid-game fine, but 
You know, P.J. Walker can run. You know that? I, I don't think Ben McAdoo knows that. I really don't. Because he didn't design anything for him. He That entire Panthers team should be named the Christian McCaffreys. Because, well, clearly Ben McAdoo thinks that Christian McCaffrey's their only offensive player. Like, what the hell? That was... Listen, the Panthers aren't a very talented team. I know this. But if you're an offensive coordinator... In the NFL, you have to be able to do more than just feed one player repeatedly. You have to be be able to do more with an NFL quarterback than just repeatedly throw screen passes. You're playing the Rams. The Panthers might be... uh, Their defense is actually pretty solid. But offensively, the Panthers might be the worst team in the league. And I know that they put up better numbers than a team like maybe the Broncos which I'm pretty sure is at the bottom of the league in scoring, but I don't care. I don't care at all. Baker Mayfield's coming back next week. For some reason, Ben McAdoo is still going to be on the team next week. I'm expecting more of the same. Maybe they'll throw the ball downfield more. Maybe instead of completing zero passes past the line of scrimmage, they'll complete five. Still, I'm expecting... Christian McCaffrey to have 80% of their yards from scrimmage this week. Probably about right. Because Lord forbid you give the ball to anyone else. Lord forbid. Lord forbid. Why would you do that? In the NFL? Give the ball to other players? No. No. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? You're telling Ben McAdoo, offensive genius Ben McAdoo, to give the ball to other players that aren't named Christian McCaffrey? No way. Terrible. Now, let's move over to the Seahawks game against the Cardinals where a certain player that I was super high on going into the draft proved me right. Ken Walker. He is everything I hyped him up to be. The way he runs is extremely unique, right? He's like, he takes these strange strides. Like, there's a certain thing that NFL defenders talk about where I've heard someone mic'd up say it I believe it was was it Marlon Humphrey I think said it so I, I'm pretty sure someone on the Ravens they said this about Tyreek Hill there's a clip and they said you know a player is hard to tackle when they run differently and Well, it was something along those lines, but Ken Walker, running back for the Seattle Seahawks, is one of those guys that just run differently. It's not in a bad way. He runs in such a, like, unique way. And he's he's not the most powerful guy, but he makes cuts instantaneously. He reminds me of LeSean McCoy in that aspect. This guy, Ken Walker, in college was an absolute beast. He should have been taken ahead of Brees Hall. He should have been taken in the first round, really. He's one of those running backs that I'm willing to take in the first round. But, man, he he can make some amazing runs. His cuts, like I said, instantaneous. He's so good at running east and west. So good at it. And if he needs to, he could plow, you know, he could kind of like plow a guy down. He could like kind of run through people because he's so low to the ground. 
but the main reason you get a guy like him is to make plays on the outside, to make some nice, you know, outside zone stretch right and left. You know, those are the plays you love to run with a guy like this. And he can, again, he has really good vision. He runs behind the blocks well. And the cuts in the open field, how do you bring a guy like this down? You're lucky if you get your hands on him. He's an absolute beast. Absolute beast. If I'm the Seahawks, I'm scheming on more ways to get him the ball. Phenomenal. Phenomenal player. I'm glad he's proved me right so far. Next takeaway. I couldn't find a way to just take away one thing about one team here. So I kind of took away a statement about both of the teams. And that statement is that both the Chiefs and the Bills are the best team in the league. Best teams in the league. I know the Eagles are undefeated. I get that. But the Chiefs, especially in this game, proved just how complete they are, right? And these Spagnolo blitzing Josh Allen a lot might not be the smartest, but I'm telling you right now, Spagnolo is a very good head coach. Or sorry, very good coach, very good defensive coordinator. And he's the main reason that this Chiefs defense has performed so well. And then of course offensively. I mean, do I even need to say much? Patrick Mahomes is there. Travis Kelsey is there. And they have a very complete group of receivers with one of the best offensive minds in the league, Andy Reid. And then you look at the Bills. I mean, they're just as complete, right? That defense is probably the best in the NFL, if not one of the best. And then offensively, you got Josh Allen, you got Stephon Diggs. That's really all you need, okay? I mean... They have other great pieces. That offensive line is a solid unit. And then Gabriel Davis is good. And they have two solid slot receivers and Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder. But most of all, it's Josh Allen. It is the Josh Allen show there. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the league. I don't know how you would pick between either of these two teams. I know the Bills won, but it was damn close. I think that both these teams are a pretty decent margin away from the third best team in the league, which is the Eagles. I, I really do. I, I mean, again, I get it. Eagles are undefeated, but there have been games that you see where the Eagles don't look quite dominant. In this game, both of these teams looked dominant, but when two dominant forces collide, you know, Someone has to come out on top, but they're still going to... Maybe they won't dominate each other because if they're both dominant forces, they won't be able to. But they just clashed, man. And throughout that entire game, you could see just both these teams were complete. Both these teams are great. Both these teams would beat any other team in the league with ease. Now, let's move over to the Cowboys primetime game against the aforementioned Eagles. The Eagles almost lost. Let's not forget this. The Eagles were outscored 17 to nothing in the second half. The Cowboys, with their backup quarterback, almost won against the undefeated Eagles. And this is as encouraging as a loss could get. Cooper Rush threw three picks. 
Dak Prescott is not going to have a performance like that. Dak Prescott is coming back next week. And when he comes back, I really think, I really do think the Cowboys are a top three team in the NFC. With that defense and Dak coming back on the offense, what's stopping them? You're listening to the Goal On Podcast. I hope that you're enjoying so far. And I'm going to do what I've been doing all regular season and analyze, predict, whatever you want to say, every game of the upcoming week. I hope that you're enjoying so far. Now let's get started. Also, I will be going pretty quick because I have school tomorrow. It is 1030. I'm a student athlete. I'm just really busy. I'm sorry. I know that's been a problem a lot recently, but what do you want me to do? Drop out of school? Like, I kind of can't. So, yeah, got to keep going. Uh, But, yeah, sorry. I will get this out quick. Uh, It's going to be a little bit rust. Sorry about that. Uh, So, first game, tomorrow, Thursday night, going to be on Amazon, Thursday night primetime. Saints at Arizona. I'm going Arizona here. They have home field advantage. They're coming off a tough loss last week, and I know the Saints are also coming off a tough loss, but the big difference here is that Arizona has this guy coming back from suspension. I'm not sure if you know him. His name's DeAndre Hopkins, uh, and he's kind of like a really, really talented receiver. So I think defensively the Saints are going to struggle to stop him. And offensively, for the Saints, they're going to struggle because this Cardinals defense is a pretty middle-of-the-pack unit, and the Saints offense is mediocre at best. So I I think the Saints are going to be able to score a decent amount of points, probably 27, maybe they get to 30, maybe. And if they get to 30, they might win. But I, I think D-Hop's going to have a night. I really do. He's been waiting so long to come back and just knowing who DeAndre Hopkins is, I, I think he drops like 180 yards, two touchdowns. I think he's going to kill it out there. And Robbie Anderson's there now too. And he is playing tomorrow. Falcons at Bengals. Listen, cool. The Falcons won last week against a team that they're much worse than. The Bengals are starting to get on the right track. I don't think that they're going to end that with a loss to the Falcons. Because all that forward momentum they've been getting instantly, instantly goes away if they lose to the Falcons. I don't think they're going to let that happen. So, in Cincinnati, I take the Bengals. Browns at Ravens. The Ravens haven't been able to finish a game all year, all right? That's definitely a thing. But I think the Browns make it really close towards the end, but they still lose. I I think the Ravens are going to start off the game really strong, get a very stable lead, right? Because they just have the playmakers. They just simply have the playmakers to do that. But then they're going to slow down like they always do. The Browns are going to start to catch up, but it's too little, too late. They don't end up winning the game. That's how I predicted to play out. But if the Browns can keep it close early, 
I think they win. Still, though, it's in Baltimore. I got to take the Ravens here. Lions at Cowboys. Now, after how much I hyped up the Cowboys just a couple minutes ago, how could I possibly not take them against arguably the worst defense in the NFL? I'm taking the Cowboys here, without a doubt, in my mind. Packers at Commanders. The Packers probably see this as a get-right game. I can't blame them at all. I'm taking the Packers here because after losing to the Giants, then losing to the Jets the week after, they need to stabilize the ship at some point. This Washington game, this Washington game is definitely, without a doubt, the game for them to right that ship. Even though it's in Washington, I don't think it matters. Taylor Heineke's getting the start. Not that they would even be able to win with Carson Wentz there. I I take the Packers here pretty easily. Titans against the Colts in Tennessee. This, This is a close one. And at first I was thinking about going Colts because Matt Ryan looks really good. But then I looked into it. The Titans are coming off a bye week. And Mike Rabel is 4-0 after bye weeks throughout his career. So I'm taking Rabel just because he's coming off a bye week and it's in Tennessee. I I think that's a pretty easy one. Although, if he was to take a loss here, wouldn't be overly surprising. I just think knowing all the context, knowing it's in Tennessee... It's out. It's after a bye week. It's pretty easy to pick them here. Giants at Jaguars. This should be a good game. This should. I'm hoping that we don't see the same Jaguars team that we saw last week, though. I'm hoping that we see that Jaguars team from early in the season. Because that Jaguars team was very fun to watch. And if we see that Jaguars team, I think this game is really close. But we haven't seen that Jaguars team in a very long time. In a long time. So I'm going the Giants just because the Jaguars have kind of fell apart. Buccaneers at Panthers. The Panthers look terrible. I'm taking the Buccaneers here easily. Then we got Texans at Raiders. The Raiders are finally starting to get going. They are. They're finally starting to find their identity. They like to run the ball a lot, which is unexpected to most. Uh, Their defense still isn't an amazing unit, but it's taken steps forward. And Derek Carr is starting to get a better understanding of, of the Josh McDaniels offense. I think the Raiders win here. Again, easily. This week, there's not many like upset opportunities. I'm sorry. There's not many games I think will be that close. Jets at at Broncos. The Broncos have been horrendous throughout the entire year. 
the Jets have been completely overperforming expectations. Again, I'm sorry to make it so simple, but easy win here for the Jets, or at least that's what it should be. Chiefs at 49ers. This game could be close, but Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible. If the Chiefs don't play a very good game, which is possible, right? Not every team is going to come out with 100% every week. That's very difficult to do. If the Chiefs have like a down week, this this is a loss, right? If the Chiefs have a down week. But I'm not expecting that, especially after a game like last week, after a loss that came kind of down to the wire. I think they're going to be fired up. I think they're going to beat the 49ers here. I do. Maybe not Kareem, but I think they're going to beat them by a decent enough margin. And again, Jimmy Garoppolo, he, he just sucks. He just sucks. If the 49ers want to win this game, they have to be able to make plays on the defensive side of the ball, and I don't think they're going to be able to do it enough. This is the only, like, upset that I have, right? I'm looking at the percentages on CBS. Uh, This game, 88% of the people picked the Chargers, the games in L.A., and 12% picked the Seahawks. I'm with the 12%. I'm picking the Seahawks here. And it's because of that guy that I was talking about in the takeaways, Ken Walker. The Chargers have not been very good against the run. Ken Walker could have a field day against them. He could. And Herbert, I'm not, I'm still not sure if he recovered from that rib injury 100%. Uh, even if Keenan Allen's healthy, I don't think it's going to make enough of a difference. I think this game will be high scoring. That's what I'm expecting. Uh, because the Seahawks defense isn't anything too special. But the Seahawks also match up very well against the Chargers defense. So I'm I'm taking the Seahawks here in a high-scoring game. Going to be one of the more interesting games of the week. Then Steelers at Miami against the Dolphins. I'm going with Miami here. Who does Pittsburgh have to guard Tyreek Hill? Who? Tyreek Hill is going to win you fantasy matchups if you have him. I'm 100% convinced. And Jalen Waddle probably will too. Even if Tua isn't the one playing, they still win. They still win. Because the Steelers' secondary is torn to pieces right now. Even though I guess they did well against the Buccaneers last week, that was a fluke. And I'm 100% sure of that. The Dolphins win here. Because they have the Steelers have no one to stop Tyreek. No one whatsoever. Then the last game of the week, and I know I did this really quick. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm busy. I got to go to sleep because, again, I got school, then practice after. So, yeah, sorry. But Chicago Bears at New England Patriots. Taking the New England Patriots here. I don't think I need to elaborate. Justin Fields is a young quarterback playing against Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick made a career out of torturing young quarterbacks. So there's that. and. The Patriots rushing attack should be able to do some pretty decent damage against a about average Bears defense. So, yeah, I'm taking them here. Uh, Again, not many upsets I have. I feel like the biggest upset I have is the Seahawks against the Chargers. Sorry that I didn't have the most interesting picks, but I'm not going to be artificial for clicks, all right? I'm going to tell you how I feel like it will go, and I don't think there will be many upsets this week. Again, 
I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong because it would be very boring if every team we expect to win ends up winning. But hey, that's football, right? Thank you for listening to the Goal Line Podcast. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is again at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. No capitals and no spaces. And I'll see you next week.